I became a Christian, Jesus follower, at four years old. It was a sunny spring day, I think. I don't remember the details perfectly. Uh, but my great-grandmother had purchased a tape, if you can remember when churches had tapes of the sermons, uh, from a sermon uh, of a Sunday service that we had missed church, a, day, a week we had missed church. And she put the tape in the tape player, and she played the tape, and she was sitting in the kitchen, I can remember that. And I don't know that, I don't think anybody told me to listen. I don't think that anybody said, hey, Chad, you need to pay attention to this. I think I just happened to be in the same room probably so I didn't stick my finger in a light socket or anything like that as a four-year-old, you know. And when the tape finished, something in me switched. The pastor, Tom Wilson was his name, our pastor at the time, had basically said, this is the deal. You are a sinner. You've done things wrong. Jesus died for those sins. And if you will give him your life, then you can no longer be guilty of your sins. And this was the real kicker as a four-year-old. You can go to heaven some one day. And the tape got done, and unprompted, I turned to my great-grandma. Nobody, nobody said anything to me. I just turned to her and said, I want to do that. And she, I don't remember the exact details, but I know this, led me in what is oftentimes called the sinner's prayer. It's basically, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, I believe that you died for my sins. And God, I want you to come into my heart. I don't know if I pictured a little Jesus rolling around in there, like why is my heartbeat different? But God, come into my life, in other words. And at that point, I became a Christian. And I've been one ever since. And here's how that has benefited me. It has provided me with more help and more hope through the years than you can imagine if you're not a Jesus follower, if you're not a Christian. I mean, it provided me hope in times, and we've all been there, right? Like when I've just been emotionally downcast, distraught, it has provided me hope that eventually things will get better. It has provided me help in knowing right from wrong. I mean, I was a pretty good kid. I wasn't a great kid. I wasn't a perfect kid. Uh, but I was a pretty good kid in large part because I became a Christian when I was four years old. And I said, Christianity is true. This is what I believe to be true. And so it helped me as I looked to the Bible and said, well, this is what it tells me is right. And this is what it tells me is wrong. I shouldn't lie. I should be nice to people. It's provided me tremendous hope that I'll see loved ones again. It's provided me help in having a good marriage. I would not have a good marriage if it wasn't for Jesus and following him and, and trying to do what he says. It's provided me hope that God loves me despite the things I've done. I've done some pretty, some pretty bad things in my life and some things just come out of my mouth sometimes on a regular basis and I think, wow, I'm not that good somewhere deep in my core, but my Christianity has made me believe, has caused me to believe, has let me believe that God loves me anyway. And then it's provided me help in knowing how to treat the hurting and the broken. And that really has been a part of my life that I am so grateful for. And it's a part of my life uh, serving homeless and helping people that, that really uh, have less than I do. Uh, that's something that, that I would never have done, never thought about doing, never cared to do if it wasn't that I had accepted Jesus and Christianity as true. You see, here's the thing. I take the hope and the help 
that Christianity gives me because I believe Christianity to be true. But here's what I notice, and this might be directed right at you. If I make eye contact with you, it might be because it's right for you. I notice that a lot of people want to take the help and the hope from Christianity, from the teachings of Jesus, from the things that you read in the Bible, without taking Christianity as true at its most foundational, basic levels. You see, lots of people, maybe you, want to look at Jesus and say, wow, what a great example. I I wish that people would be more like him. I'm going to try to be more loving like he is. You like things like blessed are the merciful because you go, well, if I'm merciful, then God will help me. And that sounds like a really nice thing. You like things like God is love, a famous verse in the Bible. Because sometimes when you're doing bad things, you want to grab a hold of that and say, sweet, God loves me anyway. You like the idea of heaven. When you go to a funeral and the person stands up in front and they start to say verses about the golden streets and about heaven being a wonderful place, you go, I like that. And I take hope in someday thinking that somehow I'll be there. But, but if you really were honest and you really stopped and you really were pushed and you really thought about it and you looked deep inside of yourself, you don't actually believe the foundational parts the supernatural parts of Christianity, the parts maybe that you don't like, to be true. And it's pretty illogical, as we'll see today. It's something that makes, if you really just kind of think about it, just for a moment, which I'm hoping to help you do today, it's something that doesn't make any sense to do. To take the very hope and the very help that Christianity offers... And to say, well, that's great, I want all of that, but I'm not going to accept the very things that that hope and that help are built upon. I want the house without the foundation. Now here's how maybe you could see that this applies to you. Like this. Perhaps you say things like, I wish Christians would be more like Jesus, but you don't call yourself a Christian. Like saying, yeah, I like a lot of that Bible. I like a lot of those things that that Jesus did. But I'm not going to refer to myself as a Christian because because I don't want to be a Christian. Or how about this? You call yourself a Christian, but you haven't thought about or prayed to Jesus in a very long time. That means that something foundational is missing and you kind of like the peripherals of it all, but you don't really like the foundational truth. How about this? You have ever said about someone who died, they're in a better place, but you don't refer to yourself as a Christian. Foundationally, Christianity, but you're taking something up here and saying, oh, they're in a better place. You believe they're in a better place because of the foundation that is Christianity. Or how about this one? You think God cares about you. You pray and stuff, but you don't ever think about what God wants from you. You're like, yeah, I think, you know, God can help me, but I don't really care what God thinks about my life or what I'm doing. Then you might fall into this category of people who are taking the hope and the help from Christianity but not believing Christianity to be true. Or how about this one? You call yourself a Christian, but you only come to church on Easter. A little bit uncomfortable for some of you, I think. 
Because then there's something foundationally missing if you're like, well, I'm a Christian and I'll show up on Easter, but I'm only going to be here, you know, once a year. There's something that you're just leaving out and it's more foundational than you calling yourself a Christian. It's more foundational than church once a year. And what we're going to see here in this passage of scripture that I want to look at with you is that this becomes a problem. And it's most clearly seen, this problem, in the doctrine of the resurrection. When we talk about Jesus, a God-man, dying on a cross some 2,000 years ago and then being buried and the rock was removed and he rose again from the dead, in this very belief, we find that this idea of taking the hope and the help from Christianity without the foundations comes to a head and shows that it's really illogical and, and it should not be done. Either you should accept all of Christianity as true or you should reject Christianity outright. This passage of scripture is in the book of 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians, for those of you that don't, that don't know, let me catch you up to speed, it is a letter written from a guy named Paul to a church in Corinth, hence the name Corinthians. It's the first of two that's recorded for us in the Bible. And Paul is writing this letter in large part because the people in Corinth, in the church there, were taking certain parts of Christianity, but they didn't want to accept some other far more foundational parts of Christianity. You see, they wanted all of the hope and the help that Christianity provides, but they also didn't want to believe in resurrection. They didn't want to believe that people would come back to life eventually. And here's what Paul says to them. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. Now, the first thing that I, I just, it's important. The word gospel means good news. I said that to you already this morning. And the gospel in the Bible is simply the story of Jesus. Tracking so far? It's pretty simple. And here's the thing that you just, I need you to kind of hear this and pay attention to this, and this is important. As Christians, we believe the gospel, the story of good news to be true. And, and, and here's the thing Christianity and what you think about Christianity has been skewed and, and, and kind of moved around, and, and it's, it's kind of, you might have just a messed up view of, of what the gospel is or what Christianity is, but in its most basic core component, Christianity is a story about a guy named Jesus that is good news. Before Christianity was a debate topic, Christianity was a story of good news about a guy named Jesus. Paul continues, what you received and on what you have taken your stand, by this gospel, this good news, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. Now look, Paul's speaking to Christians, and he says this gospel, this good news, this great story is the very thing in which you have taken your stand. You see, at the very core of Christianity, what Christians stand on is a great story. Now you, if you're not a Christian, maybe even if you are a Christian, because I've met a lot of Christians who seem to take stands on other things, maybe you go like, here's where we take our stand. Christian music. That's where I take my stand. Here's what really separates me from the rest of the world. I listen to 104.1 The Fish. I don't enjoy my music, but I'm a Christian, you know? I mean, or maybe uh, you think that, that you 
take your stand, or maybe you think we take our stand on the Republican Party. I mean, you look and you go, what is Christianity all about? It's about right-wing politics. That would be a pretty normal thing to think because of how loud people are that get on TV and how far right-winged they almost always are when they end up on TV. Or maybe you think that Christianity stands and Christians stand on a set of rules. And when you think of Christians, you're like, yeah, those are the people who, you know, they can't drink and, you know, they don't swear as much as everybody else. And, and, you know, they just, they do different things. They have to be at church at 945 on Sunday. Maybe you think that's where Christians take their stand. Or maybe you think that Christians take their stand on being anti-gay. I want to make clear, I could see how you could come to that conclusion, but that's not the reality. We don't take our stand on being anti-gay. Or maybe you think we take our stand on the Second Amendment. Like Here's what Christians believe, that you got to put a flag behind you and hold a gun everywhere you go. Christianity stands, its very core, the, the basic, the foundation of Christianity is a story that is good news, not a set of rules, not a political party, not, not the Second Amendment, not being against a certain people group, not, not something other than a great story, the story that we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And Paul says about this story, that this story, this gospel, is the very story that has the power to save. This is, in essence, what makes it really, 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 really good news. I mean, all of the, like, happiest stories in life are stories about people being saved. I like independent dramas for my movies, so I like when the person dies, but they're never happy. You know, they just make me feel something, but it's never happiness. But the stories that make me happy are stories of salvation, stories where people are saved. I mean, I just thought of a couple this week really quickly. I didn't put much time into thinking about this, but like, how about this story? Uh, the story uh, that you know in Saving Private Ryan. Like, these guys, this group of men, they go out and they are saving a person. You're like, it's good news. He's crying with his family at the end and you see that like, like, They've done it, and he's had like a whole uh, genealogy of a, a whole group of people follow him, and he's a grandparent. This is a story of people being saved, or greatest movie scene maybe of all time, Armageddon. You know Armageddon? Loosen up a little. Huh? Do you know Armageddon? Yeah, Armageddon, like when Bruce Willis pushes Ben Affleck, I don't know their names in the actual movie, into the thing and he shoots him back into the spaceship so he can go die for him on the on the asteroid that right there that's making me emotional right now like and then he gives the speech to his daughter and he's like take care of her for me you know to the guy oh man it's a story of somebody saving somebody's life and it is like the one of the greatest scenes in movie history or recently for me I watched the crudes not quite as good as Armageddon, but a good movie. And The Croods has one of the all-time great saving scenes. I loved it, actually. I loved this scene. The movie was okay, but this scene was great. The dad in the story, who's taking care of his family, 
realizes they're, they're like running from the end of the world, which I don't think will be possible, but, uh, but they're like running from the end of the world if you don't know the Croods. And they get to this line where, where they're like divided by a canyon, and over here the world's about to end, but over on the other side it's not about to end. Uh, there's some plot problems with the Croods. But, uh, but the dad realizes that the only way to save the kids and, and his wife and his uh, mother-in-law and another guy that's there is to use his great strength to throw them across. Knowing that he is going to die, he doesn't, but sorry to give that away to you, but he doesn't. But knowing that he's going to die, and so he takes them and he chucks them over and he's, he's, he doesn't know if he's thrown them all over, if they've cleared. And there's this really powerful scene with all the bad plot twists and things, but there's this really powerful scene where, where the family looks back over at him and they're all waving, and I think we have it on the screen right now for you. They, they're waving back at him, and he is happy because he knows he has saved them. I saved a guy's life once, kind of, sort of. Uh, we were in downtown Portland, me and one of my best friends, Ryan Welsh, and uh, he was standing right by the Max train line, and if this is the edge here, the stage, Ryan is about like this. And without any horn or anything, apparently that happens, the max train coming. And I, if you know me, if you've ever watched a Blazer game with me, you know that, that I'm not the most calm person in dramatic situations. I'm the guy yelling, uh, the guy screaming, the guy throwing things. But I just, with just the most calm the most calm, the most calm moment of my life. I just reached forward, and I grabbed his shoulder and I pulled him forward. And I don't know if the train would have hit Ryan, honestly, but if it wouldn't have, it would have been like an inch or two from killing him. And it's a story that I like telling in a sermon and everything. I saved a life once. And the story of Jesus, the gospel, is a story of good news because it is a story of salvation. Now, just one second, no matter what you think of Christianity or Christians, let me read to you two verses from the Bible that can't possibly be taken as bad news. They're John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent his son into the world to con not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is a story of good news because it is the only story that actually has the power to save by believing in it. So when Paul comes to this church in Corinth, he writes this letter, he says, look, I want to remind you what you've believed. You've believed a story of good news and it's the very story that can save you if you will believe in it. And then Paul's going to tell this story. This is, this is Christianity at its, its most basic, fundamental level. Here's how he begins. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. Like the world's greatest stories of people saving others, it doesn't necessarily begin with a happy place. It doesn't begin in a happy place. Jesus died for our sins. Romans 3.23 says this to us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Paul writing to another church and he says, look, every one of us has sinned. We've all done something wrong. Now you may not know what sin is. You may not have ever thought about yourself as a sinner, but, but this is how you already know that you're a sinner because you've said I'm sorry before. 
Because you have things, moments in life that you would like to go back on. Maybe last week you said something, you did something, and somewhere instinctively inside of you, without anybody needing to tell you, without any guilt trip, you knew immediately, shouldn't have said that to my wife, shouldn't have done that at work, whatever it might be. Here's the other reason you know that you're a sinner. Because you have those one or two or three things in your past that you just wish there was an eraser for. I mean, you just wish you could go back in time and if you could just scratch out, erase, get rid of that one moment, then you could feel better. Then your guilt could be removed. Then you could be happy again. Then life would have been different. And you know, you know in those moments that you messed up and you did something wrong. So the Bible tells us that we're sinners, but we didn't need the Bible to tell us that. But what the Bible says that we did need the Bible to tell us is Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says Jesus died for you. That's the part of the story that probably, because you're an American who's been around, you probably have heard that Jesus died for your sins. But what does it mean? I mean, what does that mean? Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. How could he die for my sins? And I just read this in an article this week. Lots of people were crucified on a cross. It wasn't like Jesus was the only guy. So what made his death any different? Two really important things. First of all, Jesus, the Bible tells us, never sinned. He never had regret. He never said, I wish I could go back with an eraser. He never said, wow, I shouldn't have said that to that person or this person this week. I shouldn't have done that. Oops. Instead, he lived sinlessly, perfect. He lived a totally righteous life, never doing anything wrong, never having those regrets that you have. Now, here's the other really important part. The Bible tells us, the writers of the Bible tell us, that when he died on the cross, it wasn't just a painful physical death. What the Bible tells us is that on the cross, God turned his face from Jesus, that he turned away from Jesus, his only son. And what happened on the cross is that Jesus literally went through hell. He went through hell so that you didn't have to. And and here's the thing. We deserved hell because we've done things wrong. We do things wrong. We all know that we don't deserve heaven someday. We know that. Even if you don't think you deserve hell, you know you don't deserve heaven someday. And, And the Bible shows us, it paints the picture, that on the cross, the reason that Jesus' death mattered is because when he was hanging there, the sins of all the world in a spiritual way, not his physical way, it's not necessarily about the physical death he died, but in a spiritual way, he paid the penalty of hell so that your sins could be forgiven. And that's what Paul is reminding us of. Here's the beginning of the good news. Jesus, sinless, perfect, died for your sins so that you don't have to die for eternity. And then Paul says that this was according to the scriptures. I'll say that again later about the resurrection. That's a very important statement because if a guy showed up today, said, hey guys, I'm here to die for the sins of the world, we would call him crazy. We would call him nuts, right? But here's the thing about Jesus. For thousands of years, Men were writing about what he would do and say in his life, including that he would die on a cross and then get out of a grave. That's incredible, right? 
Like if somebody had written things about your life thousands of years ago, you, that would impress you. It would impress your friends. You could tell that at parties. Like, hey, here's the deal. Guys, thousands of years ago, man, they talked about what I was going to do today. That would blow you away. Here's the deal uh, about these prophecies. There are some 456 prophecies about Jesus. And if you read the New Testament, Jesus fulfilled them all. But Professor Emeritus of Science at Westmont College, Peter Stoner, he identified eight key prophecies. And he had his statistics class do this, this deal where they, where they just looked at the eight prophecies and what are the, said, what are the chances that, that one man could fulfill eight such prophecies in their life based on them being written hundreds and thousands of years later? And this group of people came to the conclusion that the chances of that are one in 10 to the 17th power. That means like you know how this works, right, probability. Uh, if, if you have a one in 10 chance, it means one out of every 10 times you might be able to make something happen. But this is one in 10 to the 17th power, which means I think it has 17 zeros. Uh, but this is what it looks like. It's impossible. By every standard of the word impossible. It is impossible that Jesus would just fulfill eight of the key prophecies. These are what the chances are like. It's like you blindfolded a man and you put him in Texas. And you marked one silver dollar and then you stacked the whole state of Texas with silver dollars. Let me get the height right. Two feet deep. Two feet all over the whole state of Texas. It's super big. Maybe you thought Christianity stood on Texas. But it's a very big state, and you blindfolded a man, and you said, you can grab one silver dollar. And you dropped him off in a random place, nowhere near the silver dollar that you had marked. The chances of Jesus being able to fulfill the eight prophecies that these people identified are the same as that man grabbing the right silver dollar. It's impossible. Unless God was at work. And then Paul says that he was buried. Why does that matter? Because Jesus was really dead. The Roman soldiers who were in charge of killing Jesus were professional killers. The Roman army, they were the best at killing people in the history of the world up to that point. They did not kill people. Jesus was dead and he was buried, and Paul wants to make that clear. And here's the thing, even 2,000 years later, people now that are writing things try to make the claim that Jesus was never really dead, like they have some firsthand knowledge about the situation. Well, here is what could have really happened. Instead of trusting the eyewitnesses to the account, they go, well, I have a theory. I know I'm 2,000 years late, but he probably wasn't dead. I mean, come on. If somebody came after a funeral 2,000 years from now and said, hey, they weren't actually dead, your friend. Yeah, they were. They were dead. Gospel writers didn't get this wrong, and Paul wants to emphasize that he was buried. He was dead. He was gone because of what we see next. It's only important if Jesus was really dead that he was raised on the third day. That is the reason that we are here today, that is why we celebrate this holiday called Easter because we believe that Jesus was dead, he was buried, and then, and this is the part that makes it good news, right? Jesus got out of the grave. Jesus, let's not just, let's not sugarcoat this, let's make it super clear. He came back to life. 
Jesus came back to life, not after like a few hours, not after like 45 minutes in a state and and saw like a bright light or anything like that. Jesus was dead and buried for three days and he rose again. He came back to life. I mean, this is what Christianity teaches. This is what makes Christians excited. This is what the early church was built on. It wasn't so much built on Jesus died as sometimes we talk about it today. It was more built on Jesus died and he rose again. That's good news. A guy got out of the grave. Death has been conquered. And I want you to know this. And it's what we're talking about for the next four weeks after today as well. I hope you'll come and join us for those four weeks because the resurrection is an important topic and you may not leave here today satisfied. And and this is what we're talking about. All of our, our deepest hopes... Even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't believe Jesus got out of a grave, our our deepest hopes, the longings of our soul, hang on if he actually got out of a grave. doesn't matter if you believe he did or not. Your hopes still hang on whether or not that is a true teaching. I mean, if you have hope of someday being in a heavenly state and not just being buried and rotting in the ground... It hangs on whether Jesus got out of a grave. If you have hope that your life actually has purpose, then it really hangs on if Jesus got out of the grave. And you go, well, wait a minute. It's a long time ago. How do we know he got out of the grave? How do we know he got out of the grave? Two things. First of all, Over the next four weeks, we're going to give you, starting next week, if you'll come to church again, we will give you a a proof uh, written by our very own Matt Connery, who is a a theological expert, uh, of why we believe that Jesus got out of the grave. Why we, 2,000 years later, can say, I think that's true. But Paul, jumping right to the point, says, here's why we believe it. He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Paul says, hey guys, by the way, the good news is verifiable because Jesus got out of a grave. I'm not like the only person to see it, like lots of people saw it. And he begins to identify these people who have seen it. And I want to make this clear. I don't believe that Jesus rose from the grave because the Bible says so. You may have thought that's why I believed it. I believe that Jesus got out of the grave because a bunch of men who witnessed Jesus getting out of the grave said so. And they wrote it down and that has been compiled into a book that we call the Bible. But the Bible doesn't really tell me anything because it's a collection of documents. The people who wrote those documents tell me what I need to know. And Paul says, look, These people saw Jesus after he got out of the grave. And he mentions a bunch of them. He talks about Peter. Peter was a scared fisherman. And he followed Jesus. He gave everything to follow Jesus. And Jesus died and Peter was scared to death huddling in a room. And then Jesus rose. And Peter writes it down. And Peter goes on to lead our world in planting churches and telling people Jesus got out of the grave. I mean, you see this switch in Peter's life that he doesn't even record for us, where Peter goes from scared 
person who is given everything and doesn't know what to do next to seeing Jesus and everything changes where he becomes this bold man who changes really the course of history for all of you who sit here today. (laughs) I believe in the resurrection. I believe Jesus got out of a grave because Peter wrote it down for me. I believe it because Matthew, a tax collector, records it for us. I mean, Matthew even tells us he loves Jesus so much after the resurrection, he even tells us that he's a tax collector, the most hated type of person in the first century. He's like, here's the whole story, guys. I'm not ashamed of what I did in the past because Jesus got out of a grave. Mark, who hung out with the disciples of Jesus, wrote about it. Luke, a doctor, and one of the world's greatest historians, not just Christians saying that, but one of the world's greatest historians, He went all around interviewing people and studying whether Jesus really got out of the grave and what this Christianity thing was about. And he wrote it down for us. John, one of Jesus' best friends, wrote it down for us. I mean, these guys, they didn't just write it down, hey, Jesus rose from the grave. Here's what we kind of know about these guys. They suffered horribly because they wanted to keep sharing the good news, the gospel, the story of Jesus dying and coming out of the grave. I mean, all of the religious leaders and all of the Roman leaders said, shut your mouth, stop telling that story, you're gonna cause problems for us. And they said, wait, 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 we saw him though, so we're gonna keep telling the story. But it's not just those guys. Paul says that he appeared to 500 other people. Now, this is, really, this is really, really key. I need to point out that the book of 1 Corinthians is written in 54 Common Era, or A.D. 54. Jesus died somewhere around 34 A.D. This time of year, if you get like a Newsweek magazine or whatever, they'll say something like this. The, the writers of the Bible wrote those things decades after Jesus died. Do you guys know how long decade is? 10 years, so 21 years, two decades. Yeah, that is decades, I guess, but it's really not that long. Let me just maybe, I don't know, maybe you remember this. If you're little, you won't remember this, but like O.J. Simpson's ex-wife, Nicole, was murdered 21 years ago. Can you remember that? Could you verify that it actually happened? Yeah, you could. The Oklahoma City bombing happened. The Lion King came out in theaters. I remember that, I guess yesterday, I was like, this is no Aladdin or Beauty and the Beast. What happened? The PlayStation 1 was released, and cell phones looked like this. You remember that, right? I remember the first cell phone I saw. I could tell you exactly where I was. I was at uh, a flag football practice, and my friend's mom, Judy Warnier, walked up, and she had this thing like this, and she's like, I can call people right from here at the practice. I, and, and we're like, no. No, do you remember paying people to use their cell phones? Hey, could I borrow your cell phone for a minute? I'll give you 50 cents for the minutes. Some of you are looking at me like, I don't remember that at all. But that's what happened in the early days. We remember that. We can talk about it. It wasn't that long ago. And Paul dares these people in this church in Corinth to go ask somebody. He says, 500 people. That's not a claim you make, right? If you don't believe something to be true, you don't say, yeah, there was 500 people that saw a guy get out of the grave. You go, oh yeah, there's like three people because you can coordinate a story or whatever. He's like, you can go to Jerusalem and most of these people are still alive and you can talk to them for yourselves and they will tell you that Jesus was buried. He was crucified by Roman soldiers who didn't mess around with death. He was put into a tomb and after three days he got out of that tomb and he showed up and talked to them. That is why we believe 
the story of the gospel. But Paul's not done. Paul's not done at all. He says, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Paul, the writer of this book, was a very religious man in his young life. He was, in fact, a religious leader, and he wasn't a Christian. In fact, he was so far from Christianity that, that he made it his life mission to persecute Christians. He said in his mind, in his heart, and even out loud, what we need to do is we need to, we need to hurt these people so bad that they stop telling others that this guy got out of the grave. The very first Christian martyr, guy named Stephen, guy that died because he, he refused to say, no, Jesus didn't rise from the grave. When he was killed, he was stoned to death. Paul was there holding the coats of people who were throwing the stones. Paul himself says, I persecuted Christians to death. And in the Bible, uh, the book of Acts, something Luke, the great historian, writes down for us, tells us that Paul made it his mission to go around from city to city to find Christians and arrest them so that really the Christianity might be beat out of them. So they would stop declaring that Jesus got out of the grave. This is what we know of Paul. And then one day, on a road to a city called Damascus, after he had asked special permission, I mean, think about how zealous you have to be to get rid of a religion to go, hey guys, I just, I need permission because I want to go arrest them and I want to put them in prison. I want to torture them so that they give up on their faith, they give up on their Christianity. But on a road to Damascus where he was going to do that very such thing, he met the risen Jesus. And from that point on, Paul changed the world. Paul changed the world more than anybody not named Jesus. He's the re Paul is the very reason. Uh, Paul is the reason besides Jesus, the second step that has led you here today. You could trace back a billion steps that, to what let you, led you to be in this room this morning celebrating Easter. It's because a guy named Paul saw Jesus raised from the dead. Paul's life was so radically changed. He went from persecuting Christians to being the most persecuted Christian maybe ever to, to live because he just kept getting beat up and then he'd go into a new town and tell people, hey, Jesus died and then he got out of a grave and he'd get beat up again and he'd go into another town and say, Jesus died and he got out of a grave and they'd beat him up again and they'd arrest him and they'd put him in shackles, which would really hurt and, and then they would threaten to kill him and then, and then he'd get arrested again and, and his, I mean, Paul said, okay, I've seen the risen Jesus so I'm gonna tell people about him. We don't believe the gospel because the Bible says so. We believe it because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, Jesus' brother even writes it down for us. He even believed Jesus was the Messiah before Jesus rose again. And lastly, because Paul wrote it down for us. And their lives were radically changed. People do not die for lies. I don't know if you're aware of that. People do not die for lies. They die maybe because they irrationally believe something, but they do not die for lies. And these men said, I can't do anything else but declare to everybody I meet that Jesus died, he was buried for our sins, and then he rose again, conquering death. Paul continues the story, for I am the least of these apostles and do not deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but by the grace of God. 
Paul says, the only reason that the risen Lord appeared to me is this thing called grace. Grace is a word that has been defined as unmerited favor, but I don't think a dictionary definition can ever do grace justice. Philip Yancey, who wrote What's So Amazing About Grace, said grace is a gift that costs everything for the giver and nothing for the recipient. And he also said, I would far rather convey grace than explain it. I think grace can be seen in the 18-year-old girl who fights with her parents just about every night. And after one big fight one night, she slams the door and yells, I hate you, and puts into effect a plan that she had had for a long time. She grabs her mom's debit card, her mom's ID. She's able to pull $12,500 out of it, $12,500 that was being saved for her college education. She runs away to San Francisco. She gets a job, and she has some money for a while, but trying to live the high life is always difficult, and eventually she runs out of money, and she has a heroin addiction. Eventually, she starts to sell herself to men to pay for that heroin addiction and to stay alive. Not feeling well, she goes down to a clinic, they tell her, you're HIV positive. She leaves, she goes to a park, she breaks down and she cries. She looks up and she sees a little boy and a girl playing with their mom and her dad and she longs for the comfort of her mom and the stability of her dad. She thinks, I have no idea if they'll accept me now. But she calls them anyway. And they don't say much, but she sends a bus ticket, or they send a bus ticket to her. She gets on the bus. She rides, she rides the bus back home, having no idea what to expect, just hoping that, that maybe they'll, they'll give her a little money, just hoping that they'll be kind of nice to her, maybe that they'll give her a place to stay for a little bit. And they run to her, and they kiss her, and they throw a party for her, and they take care of her while her HIV turns to AIDS, and eventually she dies. That's grace. And Paul says, I was a persecutor of the Christian faith. I had rejected God, turned my back on him outright. I had done everything to turn people away from what he wanted. I had burned every bridge with God, but by his grace, he appeared to me. See, we believe that the story of Christianity is good news because it has the power to save, but we believe that the power of, to save exists because Jesus died and rose again, and that was an act of a very thing, the very thing that we call grace, God's unmerited favor for us. Paul concludes, he says, whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you have believed. Paul says, hey, guys, talking to Christians, Christianity stands on a story that contains the power of salvation and grace that was taught to us by men who witnessed the resurrection. Guys, this is actually what you believe, that Jesus died for your sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. And here's the reality. This is what Paul wants you to hear. This is what I want you to hear today. It's very important. If Jesus didn't rise, Christianity isn't true. 
If Jesus did not get out of the grave, then Christianity is a lie. And you say, well, does this matter? Does it matter? Does, does Christianity being true really matter for my day-to-day life? You can talk about the heaven thing, but does it matter for what I think and what I do on a daily basis? Does it matter for me in the midst of my rock, paper, scissors stuff, all the stuff that's going wrong? Does it really matter in this life and in this culture that Christianity be true? Let me just point to some things that these very same men who told us about the resurrection are responsible for us believing today. And maybe, just maybe, you'll see some value in these things. And you need to remember that these things are not necessarily true if Jesus didn't get out of the grave because Christianity is not true if Jesus did not rise. How about this? You may believe this. Women have the same value as men. You know why you believe that? Do you know why you believe women have the same value as men? Do you know why there's a conversation about whether or not women can choose at all in anything? It's because a bunch of men who saw a risen Jesus said, hey, by the way, men and women have value and they should be treated equally and we should love each other because in Christ we are one. In Rome, before these Christians who told us about this cross and this grave and Jesus getting out of it, before them, women were nothing. They were a step above slaves. They didn't matter. Men told women what they were going to do and they treated them like they did not matter at all. But a bunch of guys who saw Jesus get out of the grave said, oh, by the way, women have worth and value. We all do because God created us and he died for us and he rose again. Human beings deserve dignity. Before these Christians, some human beings might deserve dignity if you had the right money, if you came from the right family line, but not every every human being. How about there's hope for what happens after this life? You ever been to a funeral and found hope, as I said earlier, in the words of the Bible? Do you have a picture of heaven in your mind? I'm going to go out on a limb and say your picture of heaven, unless you're another religion entirely, is probably a picture of heaven given to you by men who said Jesus got out of a grave. You think heaven is a good place where we don't die with battles in our, or with swords in our hands in battle, which some religions do believe? Then you probably think that these guys weren't so bad who told us about Jesus rising again. Individuals should be free. That's crazy. And a big step in that is that people should be able to choose their own religion. That stands, that belief stands on Christian teachings. Religious freedom was not a thing. The reason that so many Christians died for telling the story of the good news is because nobody was free to believe what they wanted. You believed what the emperor told you to believe. But a bunch of guys came along and saw a risen savior and were willing to die to tell that story. And now we say, hey, you can be free to choose the religion you want. Stands on if Jesus rose. How about this? The world is built on predictable laws which enable empirical science to take place. It's because of Christians. You may never have traced that back. You may say science just disproves resurrection and Christianity and your Bible doesn't align with my science. You wouldn't have a science if it wasn't for people who believed that Jesus got out of a grave. You wouldn't have it at all. It's built upon these guys so you should trust them about the resurrection too. Or how about this idea? God loves you. God is gracious. God cares about you. You ever read Greek mythology? People, those gods didn't love you. 
They love themselves. You look at the other religions in the world, and they teach that God wants you to serve him. He'll get mad at you. But these guys who saw Jesus get out of the grave said, hey, by the way, God is gracious and compassionate, and he's slow to anger, and he loves you. You ever done something really stupid and said, well, God loves me? You know what? You're taking the hope and the help of Christianity. Andy Stanley, a pastor of a very large church, said this. If there was no resurrection, you should abandon all things Christian. That's the reality. If Jesus didn't rise, Christianity is not true. And the men who told the story, the gospel, the good news, were really bad liars who have cost lots of people their lives and and have really fooled me into doing something that is only great because I get to tell people their story that they have shared with me. And if they are that bad of liars, I mean, how, how many times this week did you see on your Facebook page or on your news source that a Christian was killed by ISIS? You know why those Christians died? Because they refused to say, I don't believe that a person got out of the grave. I don't believe that Jesus didn't die, was buried, and and rose again. That's why they died. They could convert to to Islam if they wanted to, but they said, no, 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 no. I believe that Jesus got out of the grave. You know why they believe it? Because a bunch of guys who told you that, that women have the same worth as men and that we should be free to choose our religion and that science should work, those guys said that they saw him. Get out of the grave. And if he did not, if Jesus did not get out of the grave, then everything that you read in that thing that we call the Bible is a rotten lie. And you need to stop. You need to stop. You need to be fair and stop taking the hope and the help that it provides because you have no idea what's going to happen to you after this life. You have no idea if God loves you. You have no idea where your loved ones are or if you'll see them again when you're dead. You have no idea if God is going to take care of you tomorrow. But if Jesus rose, then Christianity is true. If Jesus rose, then Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Peter, and James, and Paul, They saw a God-man, the Son of God, come back to life after three days. And they walked with him every day, a man who had the power to conquer the grave. They walked with him every day and they learned from him and they, they heard what he had to say and they wrote it down for us. You see, if Jesus got out of the grave, then Christianity is true. And if Christianity is true, then you need to become a Christian. If Christianity is true, you need to become a Christian. Not accepting some of it, not saying, well, I'll take part of what Matthew told me. You know, I'll take that resurrection part. What that pastor said sounded really good to me. I'll take that he, the grave opened up and that death was conquered. I'll take that, but I'm not going to take these other things that I don't like. I'm going to ignore them and be bothered. No, you know, that's so illogical. I mean, if you, if you knew a person who just lied to you over and over and over and over again and they came up to you and said, I have figured out the philosophy of life. Here it is. I know it to be true. Oh, no, you're a liar. 
Christianity isn't true, then you need to rip up your Bible. You can take black mark and just go through it and get rid of it all because those men who wrote those letters were men who said Jesus got out of the grave. But if Christianity is true, excuse me, if Jesus rose, Christianity is true and you need to become a Christian. You need to do what I did when I was four years old and you need to say, look, Jesus, first, I'm gonna become a Christian and because of that, I am going to take everything else that I see in the Bible that those men wrote down and I'm going to accept that as true too and I'm gonna find hope and help from it. If Christianity is true, you should become a Christian. But you may say, I'm not sure yet. I need more evidence. Well, I want you to do a couple things if you fall into that camp. If you just like, I need more evidence, the first thing that I'm gonna ask you to do is when we do the offering at the end of our service, uh, take one of those same cards that I mentioned earlier for visitors, and there's a spot right there that says, I wanna know more about Jesus. And if you mark that and you leave your information, I will sit with you, and I'm not gonna judge you for not believing what I believe yet. I'm not gonna go, hey, you're so stupid, how could you not believe this, whatever. But I'm gonna sit with you and say, look, let's, let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation about whether Jesus rose. Because if he rose, Christianity is true. And if it is true, you need to become a Christian. So mark that box. Here's the other part. If you're, just, if you're like a little skeptical and you're not there yet, you, you, could, you could do this. You could take one of our handouts. We'll give one, of you, one to you today. But over the next four weeks, there'll be great pieces of evidence. And that requires the other part. Come to church the next four weeks. Don't be a, a once a year Easter person. Uh, just make up your mind. If in, in five weeks total you've come sun, set five Sundays and, and you're like, hey, I don't like those people or I'm not caught up in the love that that church possesses and I, I'm just not sure it's for me, then fine, we'll be friends. I'll run into you at Starbucks and at Thriftway and we'll be cool. But, but just come for five weeks and hear about the hopes that hang on if this resurrection is true. Get the handout, mark the card, and explore it because everything that you believe that's really important hangs on if Jesus rose. But there's another group of you here. I know there's another group of you here that already believe Jesus rose. You may not believe it because you have great evidence. You may believe it because of the evidence. You're like, prophecy could never, and I'm logical enough to think that there's no way that this guy could have done these things and that these people would give their life for it. You might believe it because you felt him in your life. And through the years, at certain points, not knowing what it was, you felt it. And you knew that Jesus was with you. You weren't sure what that meant, but you just kind of knew it. And as a kid, when you would sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, you knew it was true. And you knew it wasn't about a dead guy. And there's some people here right now, you know Jesus rose because you can feel Jesus pulling on your heart. And right now, as I've read these passages to you, you go, yeah, there's something in me that says he's alive. He's not in a grave. He's not in a grave in the Middle East somewhere, but he is alive and I can feel him calling me into a relationship with him. And if you're a person that knows, you can feel it, you believe that, that, that Jesus actually got out of a grave and that Christianity is true, here's what Paul, also in the book of Romans, says that you need to do. He says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Here's what Paul says. If you believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, 
then you need to proclaim it with your mouth. I don't think he means you physically need to say it out loud. I think he means you need to declare it. You need to declare it. You need to make sure that you say it. You need to be willing to tell the story. You need to be willing to tell others about it. You need, and then, and this is really key, this is really key, because this is what a lot of pastors around the country are not going to tell people this morning, but I won't be that guy. You need to declare Jesus as Lord. You see, when I was four years old, the way I pictured it is like, oh, I believe Jesus got out of the grave. I'll kind of do whatever I want for the rest of my life, but I believe it, and I'm going to heaven. But Paul says, if you want to be saved, here's what happens. Here's the transaction. You believe Jesus got out of the grave, and you say, Jesus, I believe you are Lord, because obviously only the Lord can get out of the grave after three days. You don't just say, I believe something. You say, I'm giving you something, and it's my entire life. And I will take all of the hope and the help that the Bible gives me, and even the rules that the Bible gives me, and I will do my best to live them out because I know you are the one who got out of the grave, and you are the one who has the power to save. And in a second, I'm going to give you an opportunity to put up your hand, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer just like the one I prayed when I was a kid. And here's the deal, just one more time. There's going to be something that fights against you that says, ah, you know, what's this mean? What's it look like? Maybe you've got to become a Republican. Maybe you've got to buy a gun. Maybe, you know, you're going, to have to, you're going to have to follow a whole bunch of rules. And maybe it stands on, I'm going to have to listen to music I don't like. And No, no, no. No, no, no. We stand on a story that is good news because Jesus died and he got out of a grave. And you can stand on that story too and experience the grace of having your sins forgiven and the salvation that comes along with it. Will you bow your heads with me? Right now in your seats, some of you are just feeling, you know, you know Jesus got out of the grave, but you have refused at the to this point in life, to give your life to Jesus, to declare him your Lord. Maybe some of you believe it for the first time this morning, like, Dad, that made sense, and there's no way because I, I want women to have worth, and I want people to be free, and that stands on a, the teachings of a bunch of men who declared, and, and you right now, for the first time, you're believing it. Whether it's your first time kind of thinking, yeah, Jesus got out of a grave, or whether you've thought it for a long time, but you've never given your life to him. then I'm just going to ask you right now, will you put up your hand so that I can see you and I can pray for you and lead you in a prayer? Here's the other part. I'm going to ask another group of people to put up their hands. If you're here this morning and you've been a Christian, you've you said, Jesus, you can have my life a long time ago, but you have just taken the hope and the help of Christianity, but you've never really lived it out. But today you're going, yeah, I got to live it all out. Will you also put your hand up so I can pray for you? Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for the gift that you gave us by dying. I thank you for that grace, the mercy that you have poured out on us. It's incredible, Lord, like the story of the girl going to San Francisco to think about you as a father who no matter what we do will always take us back. Lord, and you can only take us back because you have conquered sin and you have conquered death by dying and rising again. So Lord, we say thank you. I say thank you.
The resurrection is an incredible story, but a story I believe, and I know you rose, God, because those men have declared it, and because I, God, have experienced you so many times in my life. Jesus, let us not take half of you, half of what you've taught, half of what the guys in the Bible have taught us, Lord, and not the other parts, but let us be people who every day declare you as not just our Savior, but our Savior and Lord. Ask these things in your name. Amen.